it up to 10. Sort of like a bad habit, we gon' do it again. Ready or not, we're gonna tie up some ends. Go tell a 36, try to grab all the friends. We're back like we never left. On track like a treble clef. Skip a beat on the seventh rest. Bring feast, we don't pass them over. We got the first fruits, no way to show us. This yoke is easy, this burns light. Even with a loud mouth trying to eat at the mic. Even if we down south, the humidity spike. Bales torn in two, so we gon' be all right. It's all grace till the half goes off. Heretics better run till the top blows off. Got them all stood still like a jaw full of Botox. Time to break them down like a jaw on a blow pop. Don't stop, they're in need of it though. Through grace, by faith, they could easily grow. New wave, new age, new way to see bro. Now one truth, life, one way to his throne. Wednesday, March 8th, 2023. This is Messiah Matters number 422, fighting digital harassment from the YouTube overlords. My name is Caleb Hag. Oh, you've got me again. Why is it? I'm Rob Vanoff without any kind of quirky or funny comment. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that was last minute too. That was Actually, minute. digital harassment was my uh, that was my line. I think it was. Um, okay. Well, hey, welcome everyone. Welcome everybody in the chat room. You can already see our uh, producers at the bottom of the screen. Thank you very much to our producers and our associate producers as well. Uh, yeah. Man, this music is just pumping, isn't it? Loving Love the it. music. Love it. All right. Um, yeah, so I, I'm not going to, 
I, I won't get into it, but yes, that is correct to the chat room. Okay. We have a fun show today, I believe. I believe it's a fun show. Um, now, not every show can be a winner. Last <laughs> week, I think, was a winner. <laughs> so we'll just have to see which one this is. We don't get um, participation trophies like forever. Just, okay, look, everybody. Hey, say, hey look, hey, I can be honest. The, the reason we only got 36 listeners is because we're hit, hit or miss, right? We're hit or miss. And uh, I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, so anyway, we've, we've had some really good, conver- I've had some really good conversations with some people in the past, uh, in the past week. Actually, there was a conversation. If we run out of stuff to talk about today, I got, there's a conversation that, um, that I had on, on uh, YouTube and it was so ridiculous that I just had to stop. But it, it, we we could visit this conversation if we decided that we okay. You're whetting our today. appetite. I am. So we'll your see if we get there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but instead, let's just go to well. Let's. Uh, oops. Sorry. Hmm. Okay. Let's go here instead. Seahagatoryresource.com. Uh, you can also write me at Caleb at MessiahMatters.com. I still need to get a lower uh, lower third for that. So if uh, Mike's in the chat room. Uh, yeah, there you go. That's I need that. Uh, so resource.com. You can also shoot us a voice message, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. Of course, you can find everything that you want to about this show at messiahmatters.com. And uh, yeah, everything from, well, just just go there. It's, and it's merch. amazing. And merch. I noticed right. that I, I'm not representing today. I don't know if Caleb is. I am not. I am not, unfortunately. Well, I got my cup. Boom. Um, nice. But now I have heard the chat room, and I have, I will respond appropriately. The chat room has suggested in other, um, in other shows that we should have a zip-up hoodie for Messiah Matters. And uh, so that will be coming, Lord willing, at the beginning of next quarter, which starts... Nice. I believe March 21st. So we should have new merch out for our uh, executive producers, uh, so on and so forth. Okay. Let's, uh, yeah. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. The most important one. Uh, the most important. Uh, don't forget to go to Tor Resource. Uh, it, Purim happened yesterday, and uh, there was um, some, re- some resources up for uh, Purim. But the next festival that is coming up is my personal favorite, Passover. And there is a ton of resources for Passover on Torah Resource. Um, all sorts of f- free resources, by the way, uh, including the Haggadah that I put together, which is uh, not a traditional Haggadah, but it is a Haggadah nonetheless. And uh, it's called uh, Passover Haggadah for Disciples of Yeshua. And uh, you can find that there. You can find all sorts of articles. If you want to buy the articles in a book form, we have that available as well. There's all sorts of good stuff. So go check out Torah Resource. And of course, the most important thing, you need to subscribe to this YouTube channel. If you're not subscribed, you're not one of the cool kids. So become one of the cool kids. Become one of the 36, one of our 36 listeners by subscribing to this YouTube channel. Okay, let's jump right in. Emmanuel writes in. He and now this is on. Now last week we talked about one of our, um, one of our, 
uh, videos that was put up years ago on dispensationalism. Now, we've been told by many people that we've gotten dispensationalism wrong. I've been told also by many ex-dispensationalists, no, that's exactly what dispensationalism is. Okay, fair enough. But nonetheless, Emmanuel writes in on the video about dispensationalism. He says, what about the verse to rightly divide the word of truth? Would love to see you engage the biblical references. And Bobby in the uh, chat room tells us that uh, 2 Timothy 2.15 is the Awana verse. I did not know that. Let's read it. This is in the uh, ESV, and I probably should have pulled up the KJV because this is where the, the translation rightly dividing the word of truth comes from. 2 Timothy 2.15 2, in the ESV actually says, Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. This is different, obviously, than the KJV, which is going to say rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, it, for those who don't know what dispensationalism is, I will give you just a, a reason, the reason that Emmanuel is asking this specific question about this specific verse, and then I'm not even going to respond. I'm just going to throw it over to our in-house Greek scholar, Mr. Van Hoff. So, oh, and Bobby says, Awana, approved workmen are not ashamed. I did not know that that's what it st stood for. Okay. A history lesson for us all. Thank what? you, Bobby. That is so cool. That is that is very cool. Thank you, you for that. That was from Bobby? Bob, yeah. Bobby. Bobby K. Hey, that's, that like, that's so that, great to know. That made I, I feel Rob's like I've day. been in the dark all these years. It, like no one, they just now, like Bobby decided to reveal the secret. Thank you. <laughs> I, I'm like, I feel like I just showed up to the game now. There you go. There you go. So uh, the reason that uh, this verse is brought up when talking about dispensationalism is because the dispensational belief is, is that, that uh, there are different ages for uh, different what we would call dispensations, uh, blocks of time, for uh, the way that God works with his people. So, for instance, um, the, the law age is the law up until Christ comes and dies, and this is the, the age where people need to keep the law, and this is how God... Um, I don't, I don't think dispensational, the dispensationalists would say, and I could be wrong about this, I'll have to look into this, but uh, uh, I think that some dispensationalists would definitely say that a person was saved by keeping the law up until the, the grace age when Christ died. Not all, but some would. Um, and then once Christ comes and dies on the cross, now the uh, now things have changed, and now we're in the church age. And this is the age where the church is the people of God, are God's chosen people. He's working with those people, and once the rapture happens, then it'll go back to uh, a different age where Israel is once again brought back into the into the picture. Now, now I have said this many times. One of the um, one of the strong points of dispensationalism is that they have saw they have seen the verses that uh, that discuss Israel as God's chosen people, and they are attempting to deal with that fact that Israel is God's chosen people. So they're weighing the options of how do we deal with the fact that Israel is God's chosen people, but the church is God's chosen people. And in this, I commend the attempt. However, the attempt is misguided at best, nonetheless. Okay, so I'm going to throw this over to Rob. If we are to rightly divide... The, now, before I throw it over, I should say this. I find it very interesting that uh, a that verses like this are guiding an entire theology known as dispensationalism to rightly divide the word of truth. This is, I mean, come on, this talk so about read, the, read it one more time, the the comment because it has to do with if I remember right it if I'm hearing it correctly, 
it's like Old Testament versus New Testament, right? Is dividing the word of truth. Is, am I hearing that correctly? Right, to divide the word of truth. So, I mean, the comment is, is very simple. What about the verse that, to rightly divide the word of truth? This is in response to our video on dispensationalism. So <clears throat> dispensationalism would say, see, we're supposed to chop the word up into different dispensations because it tells us that we're supposed to rightly oh, divide okay. the word of truth. This is, this yeah, is the theological yeah. jump that's happening here. And go. Yeah, so, so I see how, you know, it's the same thing, King James having Easter in Acts 12, you know, it mentions Easter. And then people think, oh, like this is, the Bible is a legitimate something. So rightly dividing, we take that into our English world and we think, yeah, chopping something up, we're dividing something up properly. Like there's a right way to divide up the scriptures and, and a wrong, wrong way. way to do it. Yeah. And that, that uh, idiom, rightly divide, is a, what is it, King Jamesian era English idiom. That is a perfect way to state it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it doesn't literally mean cut in half. That That's not what the verb. Orthotomeo. Orthotomeo. Just think orthotomato, but take the T out, orthotomeo. It, it only occurs here in the apostolic writings, um, but it just means to, to clarify, to... Uh, make straight, literally to make straight or to give straight because ortho means straight. It is used, it is used twice in, I think in Proverbs, in the Greek translation of Proverbs from the verb leyasher to, to make straight. It's just, it just means to make straight. Um, I think I might even have those on my Bible real quick. Let me see. Did I pull those up? So yeah, ultimately, the, yeah, like for example, in Proverbs 3 6, you know, where it says, you know, uh, in all your ways, no, acknowledge him, he will make your path straight. That it, the Greek uses the same verb here, making your path straight. The idea is handling, I, I like the translations that you share, Caleb, you know, handling the word of God straightforwardly, honestly. And that's, that's, um, in contrast to place where Paul talks about people who are peddling the word of God deceivingly right. for their own profit, for their own gain. Um, and he's saying, you know, the, the church, the ecclesia, God raises up teachers and evangelists, or not only teachers, but teachers to help uh, and, and shepherds like, like, like Timothy to be a voice of truth, to have, to play a clear trumpet sound, like right. with a clear melody not like just a noisy thing that nobody knows what to respond to, but like a noisy gong. Yeah. Lousy, loud, loud and clear signal. Right. And that's what, that's what God's people need. You know, that's what it's the, the word of truth going out into the world. It does not mean taking the, the Bible well and chopping like, it up. And I like and less than half of the app as well as you. I deserve. apologize. I accidentally hit my soundboard when I was trying to a visit from, from Bilbo. <laughs> I, I, I do apologize. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, what, what a great, uh, uh, connection for me now. So thank you, Bobby, for the, for the Awana, uh, clarification. Um, yeah, it, it is, uh, yeah, that's a good it one. has to do with being prepared and equipped to give an answer for the hope that's in you. And that is anchored in all scripture as being spirit breathed, that all scripture is for the nourishment and edification instruction for God's people. And not, we're not separate. We're not put, pitting 
scripture against scripture, you right. know, and, and so, so, again, okay. you know, if someone is, if someone is saying, well, King James only, then they're, they're, they're stuck with Easter in their pocket and they're stuck with this kind of thing. Oh no. Well, dividing means cutting up, you know, and then what you're stuck really, with a lot of stuff. What are you going to do? You know? Okay. Um, the reason that I accidentally tap, we will move on now. Thank you very much for your exposition of this verse, Rob. We will move on. Uh, the reason that I accidentally that hit that the, <laughs> the soundboard was because we have a super chat from Love is Bigger. So I was preparing um, to to play some sound clips. Okay. Um, and so, you know, I'll, uh, as always, what I'm going to do is I'm going to play a couple that I have decided on. And then... Um, we will also play one that Love is Bigger always wants. I can't believe we already discussed this! Let me put it this way. Have you ever heard of Plato, Aristotle, Socrates? Morons. Weights and measures. You've been blessed. Thank you very much, Love is Bigger, for the super chat. Okay, let's move on. Let me pull up my... Show notes here. Here's what we got next. Now, this one, this one's a good one. This one came in this morning. And this is what it looks like. Benjamin says, Shalom, brothers. I'm hearing a lot of weird stuff about the book of, of Esther and that it shouldn't be in our canon based off the findings in the Dead Sea Scrolls. I obviously disagree, but since it's Purim, I'm just wondering your thoughts on how to address this issue. Okay, I'm going to go first on this one. So, uh, those who would say, well, we don't find the book of Esther at the Dead Sea Scrolls, in the Dead Sea Scrolls yet, and we haven't found the book of Esther represented in the Dead Sea Scrolls yet. Therefore, we shouldn't take it as canon because they didn't take it as canon. That, is, uh, that assumes that the community at the Dead Sea Scrolls had it right. Now, yeah, if you that look it's at, like a desirable group of people yeah. to be affiliated with. Yeah, like oh, they're <laughs> like they're this denomination, and I am too. And the thing is, is that if you read some of the stuff from, say, the community rule uh, that is, it was found at Qumran, and understand how they operated at Qumran, that is not a, a denomination that I want to be a part of by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, they are way off on a ton of stuff. Well, they're uh, the and, ones that ha actually have the law that if your animal falls into a pit on Shabbat. You can't help them out, even if yeah, even if a even if a person falls into a pit on Shabbat, you can't help them out. Leave them. Yep. So it's like they, it's, yeah. They said that the temple was so corrupt that uh, they moved away from Jerusalem. This is something that is not that we don't see Christ do. Exactly. Christ goes yeah. to the temple, so they're in direct opposition to Christ as well. Um, there, there's a lot of problems with the Qumran sect. So to, to say, well, the Qumranis rejected the book of Esther, fine. If you want to say that, that's fine, because there, it's true that we don't have any re representation of the book of Esther at Qumran. They also and didn't celebrate Hanukkah. They also did not celebrate Hanukkah. They didn't, I mean, there's tons of stuff that uh, Enoch has represented a, a significant amount. Jubilees, at, uh, yeah, yeah. Right. So so the point here is simply this. I, I don't know why anyone would use well, Qumran believed this as a as an argument for why we should believe anything. Uh, start <laughs> reading the community role, rule. Start uh, understanding what they believed about the uh, the teacher of righteousness. And uh, you might as well you might as well say, well, the Samaritans <laughs> believed that the the proper place to worship is on Mount Gerizim. 
this reminds me. So maybe me, that's maybe we should reject all the prophets in King David in the Davidic dynasty because the Samaritans did. Th- this it's, reminds me of this reminds me of the Mormons. Oh well, what was it? <laughs> what was the right religion? You know, I'm a Baptist. I should be in heaven. No, I'm sorry, you were wrong. Well, what was the right religion? Mormons. The Mormons is what we were looking for. The correct for. answer like, is the correct Mormons. answer is Mormons. No, like, come on. I, I, like, <laughs> think of in two thousand years if somebody found a library and it happened to be the LDS library, oh, right? They. And, oh, and and they say, "Oh my word, look at this!" Well, they believed in all this stuff, but you know what? They didn't have this book, so now we're going to reject it. I mean, to be completely honest with you, I think the Qumran sect is pretty much on par with the the modern day Mormons. They believe some wacky, wacky stuff. Uh, is the Qumran sect the Essenes? I, I mean, asen- essentially, it is believed that they were Essenes. Um, however, the Qumran sect seems to be uh, a sect of Essenes, in my opinion. There is actually Essenes in Jerusalem. Uh, it seems that there are Essenes in Jerusalem uh, in the first century that are not part of the Qumran sect. <coughs> Do with that what you will. It seems to me that the Qumran sect is a sect in and of itself. Are they Essenes? I think that they probably were Essenes, but maybe even like a friend. It's kind of like, well, there are Baptists and then there, there are Seventh-day Baptists, right? Well, Qumran like, was just one. It was like a, a meeting hub and they had a scriptorium there, but they, they were just a meeting hub and, and people from all over would come and gather for holidays there and stuff, but they didn't all live there. They would come right. there for festivals and things. <clears throat> And there was a there was a standing community there, from, you know, first century BC. Um, but yeah, interesting. Let's talk a little bit more about this though, because it wasn't just the Essenes. Let's let's do due diligence here in this conversation. It wasn't just the Qumran sect that seems to have not. Uh, now, now, to my understanding. And I could be wrong on this, but according to my understanding, there's no, there's nothing that we have that says that the Essenes actually rejected the Book of Esther. All we have is is the uh, right. absence of representation. It's not on their calendar. It's not. Right. A, it's not mentioned on their calendar texts. And there's no text of uh, uh, what do you call it of Esther or mention of Purim. So, however, even later rabbinics, the later rabbis. And once again, uh, actually, I should pull up that conversation because that this, this would do. Yeah, let's hear into it. it. Um, but um, later, rabbinics do debate the uh, the the place of Esther, and the reason that they the reason that the later rabbinics uh, have this debate is because they uh, there is no mention of God in the entire book, and so it's kind of the question of well, should we actually be reading a book and and um, you know, whatnot that, that doesn't mention God. Now, I think that the answer to that is absolutely. In fact, when in my, uh, in my intro to the or survey of the Old Testament course at Southern, uh, we talked about the book of Esther and how the book of Esther, uh, you know, in so many other books in the Bible, God is front and center and he's doing all these miraculous things. And he's, you know, he's, you know, there's miracles that are happening and huge events that are going on that God enacts. But in the book of Esther, we don't see that. In the book of Esther, it's like our own lives. God is directing us, but at the same time, there's no giant miracle that's happening that's that can be seen as, here it is. 
you know, here, here's the miracle of God. I mean, obviously we could say that, that Esther not dying, but you understand what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, but we should talk a little bit about, so ultimately my point here is simply that the book of Esther was debated by other groups. However, it seems to be, uh, accepted and, and, um, and it should be accepted, I believe, uh, as, you know, as, uh, canonical. So Rob, do you have anything else to say on that? Yeah. Uh, well, actually, you know, the, you, reading Esther is super important, um, for multiple reasons, but it, uh, because it takes place in exile, similar to Daniel and, um, it, it represents a situation where the, the Jewish Kings have failed. And that's why it mentions when it introduces Mordecai, it, uh, it mentions the, the destruction of Jerusalem and the, the diaspora, the exile. And if you understand that from a covenantal frame, just like when you read Daniel nine and 10, et cetera, it has to do with, um, the terms of the covenant of the enduring covenant. Exile does not mean God's covenant with those people has ended. It means that they're being disciplined because of their abandonment of the Torah. Just like in Daniel 9, he says, we have, we have sinned. We've not listened to your prophets. We've, we're under the curse of the law of Moses, et cetera, et cetera. And Esther has the same situation. And um, the allusion in Esther, in the Hebrew, to the prophets and to the Torah is so present. Right. I, my conviction is that Esther is written. I've spent a lot of time in, with Esther reading it in Hebrew and stuff, thinking about these things is that it is, um, it is implied for a Jewish audience that understands the law and the prophets. That's my contention. And the, and we do see the name of God in Esther and it's in the name of the Jewish King. Jeconiah, it's the last two, uh, yod Hey is the end of his name. Yeah. And it's it's there yeah. representing the Davidic king who has fallen is, is the destru- and the destruction of uh, Jerusalem and Nebuchadnezzar uh, scattering Israel and, and Judah, you know, throughout the, the Babylonian kingdom and then now with the Persian kingdom. So it's a, it is a story that, implies a, a a great humbling a great humbling of god's people right uh and esther is an orphan jewish girl right and she puts her life on the line and and it it encodes perfectly the story of esther encodes perfectly yeshua saying whoever seeks to whoever loses her life for for my sake will will save it whoever seeks to save their life will lose it and it's exactly the language where Haman, uh, tr- when he, when his plans are revealed, I don't remember what chapter is that chapter seven, when his plans are revealed to the king by Esther, and the king gets angry. It's it's fresh on my mind from yesterday. But he he leaves out into the right. garden, and then immediately, uh, Haman goes to Esther, and he says he's literally he's seeking for his levachish show to to seek to save his own nephesh his own life and he trips and he falls on top of her on the bed or whatever right on right. the couch and then the king comes back in and he's hung immediately right 
And anyway, so, and there's a hung on a tree so that, that there's, there's a hint of crucifixion here. Right. There, there's so much rich in my opinion in Esther. So um, I think it rightfully is in the canon. Um, I, and I agree with you, Caleb, but I don't think we need to look to the, the Essenes or the Qumran sect for advice on what should be in the word of God, because we, we historically see that they died out. They, they were like a branch that bore no fruit. And we'd learned about them 2000 years later by the cave, you know, by stuff found in a cave. Right. Okay. So let's go to, this is, this is off the beaten path. We're away from the show notes now. This could go anyway. But we brought up rabbinical, <laughs> rabbinical debates. Now, so this is on a video that came years ago, right, on, on Zitzit. If you don't know what Zitzit are, Numbers 1537 and following, tassels on the corners of the garment, okay? Maria says, it says, speak to the people of Israel, instructing them, so why can't women wear Zitzit? Isn't it just a reminder to help you remember and obey Adonai's mitzvot? Now, there is someone who responds. Methodius is the name of this YouTube channel. Responds and says, it's men's clothing. That's all he says. I'm assuming it's a man. That's all he says. Now, it's men's clothing is a rabbinic theology. You're not going to find that theology anywhere else. It is a rabbinic understanding. So I see Methodius's response and I say, okay, this person is now promoting a rabbinical theology. That's fine. I have, that's fine if you want to promote a rabbinic theology. But in my mind, I'm going to now respond to the rabbinic theology that has been put forward. So what I say is, I personally believe women can wear tzitzit. And I am not the only one who believes this. Akiva had the women in his household wear tzitzit as did other rabbis throughout history. The term sons of Israel is used often for all of Israel, including women. So the argument that it is a man's garment does not hold weight. Now, Methodius has completely misunderstood my, uh, my reference of Akiva. And he, he responds, Akiva is not the type of person that you should probably say it is it as authoritative. Right. He is the one who named Bar Kokhba the Messiah. Fair point. However, this shows that uh, the <laughs> shows that the uh, that it was missed. Methodius has missed the point that he himself is the first one who has put forth rabbinic theology. So, I write back. I say, I think I think you missed the point there. I don't find Akiva authoritative, and I think anyone who watches this show regularly would back me on that. I mention Akiva not to say he is authoritative, but to simply show that a, pro a prominent rabbi within Judaism agrees, which shows that not all of Judaism, which is where we get the notion that tzitzit is a man's garment, believes tzitzit to be for women. Okay, so so on and so forth. So I go on and, and say, you cited, uh, you know, I... Basically say, you put forward a, a, a rabbinic uh, theology. Can you cite any other source that would suggest tzitzit is for, only for men? Now, this is where I'm starting to realize, like, maybe this person is trolling me. Since you consider, this is their response, since you consider rabbinic Judaism as a whole as authoritative to your faith, traditional Orthodox Judaism interprets tzitzit as being part of a man's garment. 
anyway, so this conversation goes back and forth for a number of, of, of times. Uh, me trying to show this person that they are the ones who first cited rabbinic theology. All of this to say this. I personally do not think that the rabbis uh, hold weight on this issue. In fact, I think that we can interpret it. It could be uh, interpreted both ways. To speak to the children of Israel or speak to the sons of Israel, no matter what. Uh, I, I don't think that you can put forward a strong argument saying that women certainly can't wear tzitzit because it's a man's garment. Um, but I couldn't figure out whether or not I was being trolled or not because obviously the person yeah. missed the point. Thoughts on yeah, that? This, yeah, this, this is good. <laughs> this came up in, in last week's, on Shabbat last week. Um, let me pull it up here. Um, I don't have the all the verses, but it was, oops, well, my computer's not. Letting me look it up. I'll I'll just tell you. So um, in Parashat Truma, so that begins with Exodus uh, twenty five. It it uh, it's you know the Lord. I'm just from memory. The Lord says to Moses, "Speak to Bnei Israel, and they will bring you each." And then it's each. It's it's uh, each man whose heart moves him will bring for you my teruma, terumati. It says, this is Exodus 27, the beginning. It says, each man will bring a, as their heart moves him, okay? And then, of course, but when you go, of course, the golden calf, because this is Moses' revelation, 40 days and 40 nights before the golden calf, the golden calf happens. But then when it actually fulfills, when it says, and, and and they brought, as their heart moved them, this is, I want to say Exodus 37 now, but I don't remember the exact verse, but it's after the golden calf, when they're actually receiving the goods, the, all the inventory, all the materials to build the Mishkan. And, and it says, and they all brought, everyone whose heart moved them, brought all these goods, men and women. So, if, if all we looked at was Exodus 25, we'd think it looks mask because it's the verbs in the masculine. It says right. ish, right? You'd think, oh, if all we saw was that, we'd think, okay, only men. It says speak to Bnei Israel. We'd say, okay, right. it's only men. But when you look at the fulfillment in Exodus 37, so we're in the same book, right? Exodus, after the golden calf, they're receiving, you have Bezalel and Aholiav or are given the Holy Spirit and they're overseeing all this. It says men and women both, ish ve'isha. The text is absolutely clear. So then that, what that causes us to do as careful readers, we have to go back and look at Parashat Terumah and say when it says ish, uh, each as his heart uh, will move him, is just using the masculine as a, it just means individual, it's not, even though the Hebrew only has two genders, masculine and feminine, it's using ish in this example, just to mean individual people whose right. heart moves them. And then when the fulfillment happens, the Torah is careful to let us know that, by the way, if you're thinking this is only men, it's men and women. Now, does this apply to tzitzit? It's just another example where we have to be careful to, to exclude you know, I mean, and we, we we can see we can see Rob's point in our modern day as well. So, for instance, in the movie The Goonies, at the end, when a sloth comes in and says, "Hey, you guys," or right, "Hey, you guys," "Hey, you guys," right? 
is he just speaking to the boys there or is it the entire group of the Goonies? I posit that it's the entire group of the Goonies. Right, right. So, um, yeah, good point. All right. I just thought I would, well, you know, I thought I'd bring in a little bit of the, uh, you know, modern day. <laughs> Let's exegete from the Goonies. Okay. Um, we're going to go to Code Blackbird. How, uh, how's justification a free gift? If it's not for everyone. Okay. So I'm sorry. Let me rephrase with the proper punctuation. How's justification a free gift if it's not for everyone? The free gift of justification is only good if you're one of the chosen people God has chosen. If you want to be justified but not a chosen person, then you're out of luck. So I'm not quite sure I understand the argument here. However, uh, a free gift is not given to necessarily to everyone, first of all. Now, there's a lot that could go into this conversation. If I give one of my sons, a, if I give my eldest son a gift and it's a free gift, that doesn't mean that I have to give it to my youngest son, right? There could be many examples of this. So first of all, yes, it is a free gift if it is given to even one person freely. It's a free gift. That's number one. Number two, as someone who believes in the... In the, in the um, I, okay, we can use the word Calvinist. As a Calvinistic person, uh, or someone who is at least close to that, I would say that uh, there is a, 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 a universal call to love, to love God and to come to Christ. Everyone has heard that call, for the most part. You know, there might be one or two people on earth who have never heard the, uh, the idea that Jesus came and died for, for your sins. Um, but the point is that the free gift is offered to everyone. Anyone has the ability to, to receive that free gift. Many are called, few are chosen. So that's the point, is that um, I think that, I think that uh, the gift is offered to everyone. Whether or not a person receives that gift is, is another point. Um, but... I think that it is a free gift. Justification is a free gift. God gives it to us freely. Now, sanctification is a work. And this really is not, by the way, this is not a debate or a discussion about Calvinism or the doctrines of grace. That's not what this is a, a, uh, a discussion about. What this is a discussion about is justification versus sanctification. Justification is a free gift which God gives to, the, gives to his people, Right, and that doesn't matter if you believe in predestinate, you know, in the sovereignty of God and salvation or not. It is still a free gift that God gives to His people. Even those who uh, hold to Arminian theology would say that it is a free gift that is given to His people. Sanctification, on the other hand, is a co-work between the Holy Spirit and the person to come closer and conform more to Christ. Um, and so this is the, uh, this is the difference between justification, a free gift, and sanctification, which is a dual work. That's, that's my take on it. Maybe I misunderstood the question uh, in total, but, uh, but that's, that's how I'm taking it. Rob? Uh, yeah, I, I like what you're saying. I, I was reminded of Proverbs 8. Does not wisdom call, understanding lift up her voice? On the top of the heights, besides the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, at the opening of the city, 
At the entrance of the doors, she cries out, to you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. Right? Listen, I will speak noble things. And it goes on and on. But the idea is, how come not everybody in the city is running to listen to wisdom? So the wisdom's voice is there. Right. And we have to really take seriously Isaiah 53.1. It says, what does it say? Who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So the question is, it's not that the problem is not that the word hasn't gone out. Because the problem is nobody's believing it. Who right. has believed our report? And so Isaiah gives the second line there to Isaiah 53.1, says, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That means the people who hear and believe are the ones to whom it's been revealed. And that's a mystery that we can't, it's not, we're not going to solve that. that. That's the total prerogative of the creator. I am who I am, or I will, you know, I will be who I will be. I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion upon whom I will have compassion. We to to suggest that somehow. Um, here, here's the way to look at it. Nobody, nobody wants. There's nobody who truly wants God. There's nobody who truly desires God whose heart has not been moved by the Holy Spirit to want God. So it's not like there's a situation where there's a kid who's like, well, I, I really loved God, and he ex but he excluded me. Darn it. Anyway, like that's, um, I th and, and, and the I th idea of lucky, oh, I'm just, I guess I didn't luck out. I, I really love God, but I'm not one of the elect, so I guess I lucked out, you know? That seems then, like people think that way. Is it? I I think that what we need to do is we need to uh, also attempt to ask a, the question a little bit differently, and that question is: Do I have I done something to deserve justification? Does that make sense? In other words, okay, if it's not a free, so if it's not a free gift, that means that. I have what? I have done something that makes me deserve it. So it's either a free gift or I deserve it. Th those are the those are the two options in my mind. I mean, is there another option right. besides no, besides no, no. free gift or I deserve it? So then the question that I would have to yeah, because if you deserve it, it means you earned it. It means you but, did something that now it's a wage, right? That's what Paul says. You know, grace is it, it's no longer if you earn it, then grace is not grace. Once again, this is not a conversation about Calvinism versus Arminianism or any other. Uh, any other. However, Tony, you are incorrect. You you are incorrect. Tony says, according to Calvinism, the gift of justification is not offered to all, but only to the elect. That is incorrect. I don't know where you read that from, but I don't know any Calvinist who says that. There is the universal call. There, the claim all, goes to all the world. That, that, that's exactly right. Yeah. The, it's news for the all of creation, right? I mean, it, the the voice goes out. Why does Yeshua say, "If to him who has ears to hear, let him hear"? It means that not everybody in the crowd, it like it means everybody's there listening to Yeshua, right? But he, but then he says something. He says, "To him who has ears to hear, let him hear." Means there's going to be a lot of people who are listening and are just going to go, oh, "Okay, let's go get some popcorn." Okay, right? Well, what about that? I mean, let's just let's just go to the scripture. All, the the rich young ruler. 
He comes, he asks, how am I to be saved? And Christ tells him. He offers him the answer. He offers it to him. And what is it, what happens? He He's loved, offered he justification. And he, yeah, and he turns and, and he, he says no. So, okay. Um, so I, 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 think I don't think Jesus spoke loud enough. I think Jesus should have chased after the guy and said, look, can we debate next Thursday? Can, can I argue? Just hear my arguments, hear me out. No, Jesus didn't do that. Why not? Why didn't Jesus chase after that dude? Let me try again. Let me try again. I don't think you heard me correctly. Yeah. I heard your feelings. You know, maybe I hurt your feelings. (laughs) Ultimately, what we have to uh, to say here is that I mean, Tony, I I disagree because clearly, my view is that the the gift of justification is offered to everyone, and I think that that is a that is a a majority of Calvinists believe that. And and including uh, heavy hitters like R.C. Sproul and and others who talk about to the the universal call, we see this in the scriptures. Okay, let's move on. Um, Eric writes in, and this is a comment. So he he responded to a video that we did back in the two hundreds. So uh, we're on we're on show 422 so over That's like, like 2 weeks ago show. man <laughs> see i like two 200 shows no, ago so, okay so in the 200 so we were we were messiah matters though cuz up through show 200 i think we were robin Caleb's show uh, up to show 200 right yeah um okay so he responds and says, I agree that Romans 14 isn't about the Sabbath or kosher, etc. However, the point was made around the 47-15 minute mark that we can't take the cultural hermeneutic and apply it to the letter of Paul. How do we do that with Romans 14 and Colossians 2? Uh, just playing the devil's advocate. Okay, so I'm not, I haven't gone back and listened to this. However, I'm pretty, pretty confident. The cultural I know, hermeneutic? Yeah, I know, I'm quite confident I know what we were talking about. Um, and I will go from there. The, the point here is this. When we look at, first of all, we believe, Rob and I believe in a, um, a historical grammatical interpretation of the scriptures, which means we do have to take the surrounding culture and the, and the society and all those things into account when we, are, uh, when we are dealing with various scriptural issues. Okay, now, what we don't believe, what at least I don't, I'll, ta- I'll speak for myself here, what we do not believe, however, is the notion that we can just make up things that are going on in culture and then use a hermeneutic from there. And I'll give you a perfect example, and this is, I think, what we were talking about in that video. Um, I believe that this conversation comes from the idea of women being elders. Those who take a, uh, a view that women can be elders in the church um, usually do so, usually do so, I use the word usually, do so on the, uh, on the idea that there was some kind of a cultural uh, debate going on and that women that were coming into the uh, Colossian church or whatever church, they were actually coming in and trying to uh, express dominance because of a pagan temple in the area. 
and that women were dominant in that area because of this pagan temple. Uh, this is this is the hermeneutic that's that's going on. Oh, there was a debate going on about women in leadership, and this is what Paul is addressing. The problem is is that we have no we have no uh, evidence to point to such a debate. Is there a temple, a pagan temple in the area? Yes, that's the only evidence that a person can point to. So basically what, what people want to do is they want to build up a hermeneutic around a, a pretend argument that they have now built up in their, in their mind. This we can't do. We cannot use a pretend cultural argument for the, uh, for, to, to build a hermeneutic around. Now, we do have to take into account the, the various things that, that uh, Paul is talking about. Is he speaking to the notion of conversion in certain places? Absolutely. So we have to understand that. We have to understand what he is talking about. But I think that those, the, what I'm saying is, is that the, the cultural hermeneutic that we find has to be found within the scriptures. It has to be found within uh, perhaps uh, non-canonical literature of the time so that we can see what they were reading or see what they were, you know, what was on people's shelves at the time, um, uh, historical documents, those kind of things. Um, and I think that those, are, it, it's those kind of, uh, historical, um, markers that we do have to take into account. Anything to say on I, that, Rob? I have, I have a hunch and I, I can't prove this, but I have a hunch on this too, is that just like the, the early church is dealing with wolves in sheep's clothing, like, like you read through Acts, there's like teachers that are Jewish, like, you know, that have some sort of magic or other things, you know, and they're, they're, is it Simon Magus, you know, he's like, teach me this, you know, like, we have to say that's a real person, but that he's not the only dude doing that kind of stuff. Right. He's not the only, uh, snake oil salesman who's sprinkling Jewish things on his wares to get people to like buy his stuff. Right. And, um, we also see where, you know, there were, um, well in the pagan realm, they're making, uh, the little idols or shrines or whatever, and their business, you know, it's a business that gets disrupted when Paul and is it Paul and Silas or Paul and Barnabas? Sorry. I haven't been in acts lately. <laughs> I want to say Paul and Barnabas maybe come to town. Right. Um, and, and the business gets disrupted. So we, the acts alone gives us pings from different locations to say, look, there's a religious marketplace going on. We also know from the epistles of Paul that there are situations where women, where some of these false teachers are getting their ear in, in the women who are, have their own way, get, get gatherings and getting, get together. Maybe their husbands are at work, maybe they're widows, but the idea is, you could see how it's possible that in some scenarios in a, in a synagogue gathering, there could be women who come in and they bring this kind of, they're feeling puffed up by these kind of other teachings and they feel like they have something. Oh, well, let me quote the book of Enoch to everybody, you know, this kind of stuff. And Paul's like, no, no, you know, it, it, not going to happen. You know what I mean? So I, I think there's other plausible scenarios, but, but I'm with you, Caleb. We, we have to be very careful when we read these, we have to be, we, we don't want to build houses on sand. I mean, that's what it comes down to. We want to build on the word of God. And, uh, but we are warned throughout scripture of 
false teachers, of uh, busybodies, of of people giving into these Jewish myths and fables, and um, and that th- th- these wolves in sheep's clothing are tr- they're out for their own. They want to take disciples to themselves. They're not about the priorities of Yeshua's kingdom. They're not about the the nourishment of and care and protection of Yeshua's flock. That's why when Paul back to Acts, I think it is it Acts twenty. When when does Paul leave Ephesus? And he's there. He's getting on the boat and he's weeping. He, he said, "I don't think I'll ever see you again." A, but he's like, and I know that these wolves are coming in for the flock. Like th- so, there's a there's a sense of this um, very real dark opposition to the preaching of the gospel. And it wants in, it wants into your homes. It wants into your marriage. It wants into your family. It wants into the communities and it wants to disrupt and distract and to destroy. And Paul's like, look, I was on the other side of this. He's like, I, I thought I was doing, you know, I thought I was super zealous and holy and righteous. And I myself was on the wrong, you know, I had a life sprinkled with scripture and I was, I was going a hundred miles an hour towards a cliff and Yeshua saved me. So I think that we, when it comes to, I know I've I've waxed long here, (laughs) when it comes to cultural background, and if this is what we mean by cultural hermeneutic, there's a big wide swath of things that we want to attend to and let them all kind of help us orient ourselves to the situation. And sometimes it's not going to be super clear to us what the background is. Well, I think that that actually his his mention of Colossians is a perfect example. Paul is certainly addressing something, and it seems rather specific, right? I mean, he's, he's yeah, clearly... Uh, traditions of men, philosophies of men, and it has to do with humility, some sort of something that seems like humble an angel angelic worship and and right yeah but it's but in fact it's it's a new so, book so, at but, the, but but the point is is that what many people have done is tried to take out that cultural element and what happens they they misinterpret it thinking that yeah, right. that Paul's talking about the law of God and this is a problem there's a reason why James said, don't just, don't just be called a teacher. There's a greater judgment for teachers. Why is that? Why does James warn that? It's because of exactly what you're saying. It's because, A, interpreting the Bible, it's not just, oh, I can read English and I can read an English Bible. Therefore, all of a sudden now I can interpret it. And uh, in general things with the message of salvation, yes, you'll be able to get it. But when it comes to to precision of doctrine that ain't cheap it doesn't come cheap it's not like you know getting your coffee at starbucks it doesn't come even that's not even cheap anymore but the idea is you you know to him who has more will be given you know and that that's it and and yeshua starts you out where he starts you out and you demonstrate yourself dependable, capable, you're putting, you're getting your priorities in order, he'll give you more. And you demonstrate competency, he'll give you more. You demonstrate, demonstrate faithfulness 
at keeping your priorities, he'll give you more. And those are the people we want to learn from. The people who've walked a lifetime and they've, they've gotten their house in order. They've gotten their priorities in order. And they're all about the kingdom. Those are the people who are a delight to speak about the word of God with. Because they've, because it's their main food for right. their life. And it's not just a year. It's not just two years. It's not five years or 10. It's long haul walk. No doubt. No doubt, um, man. No doubt, man. All right. I think that's going to do it for us. It's a shorter show than normal. That's okay. We have, uh, well, actually, if you want to uh, us to talk about something specific, hang on, let me come back here. If you want us to talk about something specific, if I could talk, that'd be great. Uh, you can uh, email us, chegatorresource.com. It's C-H-E-G-G at torresource.com. You can also leave us a voicemail. You won't talk to us. You just talk to a answering machine, which means you can tell us how much you love us, hate us, agree with us, disagree with us. Talking what we to got a robot. right, what we got wrong. It's AI, man. It's AI. Uh, two back five three robot. four six. Yeah, two five three four six five thirty two zero five. It's two five three four six five thirty two zero five. Um, yeah, and uh, it, most importantly, don't forget to subscribe and like uh, this video. Subscribe to this YouTube channel. It really does help us. Okay, so. Um, we need more conversational topics from you. Uh, write us and tell us what you want us to talk about. I think open theism was a suggestion and one that we still need to get to at some point, and we will probably do that. But to be completely honest with you, I'm not sure how long of a conversation we can have about open theism. Uh, it just means that I need to study more. I don't understand. Uh, I don't understand how this could be a long conversation, but I guess we'll find out. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, let me find our, our music here and, uh, we'll say goodbye. All right. We hope that this conversation has done at least one thing that is to glorify our great God and savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. Why? Well, you know why, because Messiah matters. Messiah matters.